Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Thank you to the worship team. Um, I had asked them to uh, to sing that song um, uh, because today we are uh, talking about uh, sanctification and that song has a a theme of sanctification the fire that purifies uh, the fire that refines that gets rid of the impurities uh, to make something more um, pure to make something more holy um, and uh, it just ties in so much with what we're talking about today um, but hi, my name is Conrad. I am the youth director here. Uh, I have the joy to, to serve, and I get the joy to, to teach today um, on our topic, Marriage Sanctifies, which is the last leg of our marriage series called The Divine Romance. Um, they gave me the last part because I'm the youngest guy on staff who's, who, who's, been, who's been married the, the least amount of time. They're like, we'll give him, we'll give him this one. Uh, no, I'm just kidding, but I... But I'm really excited to share with you. Our text for today is in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. So if you'd like to turn there. If you don't have a Bible already, we might have some volunteers. Oh, sweet. Cindy DeBeer, you're amazing. If, if you, if, would you raise your hand if you, if you need a Bible? Maybe you left yours at home and you'd like a hard copy. Or if you actually just don't have a Bible, this one is yours. We, we want to invite you to take it home. Um, uh, you... Uh, if, if you've got one, you can just borrow this one and give it back to us. But if you don't have one, then then it's yours. Um, and and this text is is a very popular text when it comes to marriage and how marriage is supposed to work. Um, and so I'm excited to share with you in that. I'm excited to talk about uh, sanctification. Uh, but before we jump into the text, I want to invite you to, to pray with me. Let's, let's close our eyes and let's pray. Lord God, I just want to pause because it's really easy for me to get wrapped up in an outline um, and a, a presentation and things like that. But God, I just want, God, I just want your word um, I just want your word to go forth. God, I just want your glory to go forth. So I just ask that today you would allow me to get out of the way. Um, Lord, you would allow um, your voice to be heard today, God. And so would you lead us as we, as we look at your word, as, as we contemplate what it means um, for us, what it means for marriage. Um, God, I ask that, um, that you would just lead us today, allow our hearts to be open and ready to hear the message that you have for us, God. I know that each of us are in such a different place, God. So many, so many people here um, w with so many different situations and circumstances, God. And even in a topic, a message on marriage, God, for every single person, every divorced, every widowed, God, every it's complicated, Lord. I ask that um, that you would reveal your your word, God. That that you would speak um, to them, God. Lord, we love you, and we just thank you for today. We pray all this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 
25. A little bit of a preface for this. It's a, it's a rather controversial um, verse um, because it talks about submission, and that's not exactly a popular word in our culture today. Uh, it starts out by saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then verse 25, it says this, for husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorified church without a spot or a wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. This is, this is from the NLT, uh, the New Living Translation. And this, the NLT, which is the, the black hardback Bible that we have there, is a fantastic translation because they do their best to get rid of the, uh, the churchy language that, that, that people don't remember what it means anymore. Because it, or or it's, it's such a complicated inside language, they try to just look past it. But, uh, or they try to use words, they try to define things with longer, longer things. So in, in, in the starting of, in the beginning of verse 26, the word there, um, to make her holy and clean, is to sanctify her. Is to sanctify. And the NLT is like, people don't know what sanctify means. Let's just tell them. Um, to make her holy and clean. So, so that's where we want to start is with some definition because there is all of this insider church language that uh, it's easy to push people to the outside on accident um, with with a lot of these words and sanctify sanctification is one of those words that I could put in with a lot of other words into like this bucket over here with consecrated and sacred and holy and yep sanctification's right in there too uh, and I could just reach in and grab any one of them, and they'd all they'd all fit this the situation. Um, but but it's one of those words that I, I don't use sanctify in, in a in a normal context. In in you know when I'm out working on the car, I don't talk about sanctification. Uh, it seems to be a Bible and a church thing, and and Christians recognize this, and some people even call it uh, like church ease or Christianese, like it's its own language. But even that phrase, church ease or Christianese, that's a, that's a Christian insider language. So we have all of these things that accidentally we create these, these barriers. And so I just want to try to get past that the best that I can right now. So uh, we're going to look at one of those. First, sacred versus sanctified. These are the two that I feel like are so close. I'm just like, what? What what do what what's even the difference in their definition? How do they how do they differ? Um, and they are very very similar. Um, but I just put some, there are, there are people who sit in rooms and talk about this kind of stuff and try to figure out exactly what it means. And uh, but but the basis of it is this: that sacred is a state, and sanctified is a summary. Sacred is a state, and sanctified is a summary. So sacred uh, just means devoted or dedicated to a deity, specifically in our case to, to Yahweh, to the God of the, the Israelite people, to, to the God, that, that same God who, who created the universe, who, who chose his people, called them out, who freed them from this slavery, 
under Pharaoh in Egypt. It's, it's that God that, that we're specifically talking about being devoted and dedicated to. And, and this is the concept of something be, that, that has been made with a specific purpose. It has been made for a devoted purpose, made with a dedicated purpose. Um, to, use, to use this sacred thing for any purpose other than its sacred purpose is an abomination. It's just wrong. That's not what it's supposed to be. Um, and it is interesting that we have all of our, our, the royal stage sets and stuff, and like, here's a bed, and when you are a kid, a bed looks a lot like a trampoline, but it's not, and uh, if you were like me when you were a kid, um, you had your parents tell you that it was an abomination to use a bed as a trampoline. It has a purpose. <laughs> use it for its purpose. Um, and just, just like that, something that is sacred has a devoted and a dedicated purpose. And really, the only big difference between sacred and sanctified, sanctified just means that something has been made sacred. So one is the product, and the other one is the process. If you say something is sanctified, you're just saying, yes, it has become the product, but it's the product because it went through the process. So... Just slightly different, but as, as we look at, at some of this, um, we'll see that, that it's an important distinction. It's an important distinction. And one thing that's important to know is that becoming that sacred product, that sacred product is a very good and holy thing. It is, it is what God has designed us for. We're talking about ourselves here as humans. Becoming the humanity that God has designed us for, being that humanity, is so, so important. But also the long journey to become that product is just as good and just as holy. Um, the, the process is just as good, as, just as important as the product itself. Um, there, there's a, a lot of. Uh, well, sorry, one second. We, we're 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 gonna take a look back at Genesis. We're looking all the way back at at creation, because we were made with a purpose. When God was making the entire world, He made humanity with a purpose. He created them, placed Adam in the garden to enjoy, to experience, to glorify God. One of, one of um, these really big thinker guys who sits in a room and talks with a bunch of other people to try to figure out what, what life is all about, uh, John Piper, he, he has a statement that he uses to summarize his entire organization, and he says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When I can take in all of creation, all of my life's circumstances, and I can be totally satisfied in who God is, that's how he's receiving glory. For, for some of us uh, who have grown up in church, when I think about like glorifying God or praising God, my mind goes straight to singing. And so when, when people say, like, man, the whole purpose of our life is to glorify God, I'm like, are you telling me that my whole life is all about singing and nothing else? What if my voice really stinks? What if, what if I get sick and it's all scratchy and, and crackly? Like, what do I do then? Can I still, like, am I still on board? Am I still okay? But glorifying God comes in so many different ways. And yeah, it does, it does happen when we're singing and the words of a song resonate with us and we proclaim them. And I find my satisfaction in God in this moment, 
I could just forget about everything else. And, and I'm good with just me and God. It happens, it, it, it happens when we're reading the scripture and we find contentment with, with, with God. It happens in prayer. It also happens on Monday morning when your car breaks down and, and you're like, God, you are so good because I didn't want to be to work on time anyways. So I appreciate just how, how you take care of me. Our, our entire lives can point to God. It doesn't just have to be a, a, a church thing on Sunday morning. It can be a Monday morning thing. It can be a Monday evening. Thing. It can be at any time, all the time. And this process of becoming the people that God has made us to be is to methodically go through every area of our life and try to make that area of our life glorify God, point to His glory, point to His goodness, point to His love. Um, and, and so when Adam w was made, God had made so much good stuff. God, every time he made something, he said, that's good. Wow, I did a good job. And, and he, he sums it up by saying, wow, all of this is very good. But then, all of a sudden, he says something different. He sees that Adam is, is alone, and he says, that's not good. The, the very first thing that God says is not good is the fact that Adam is alone. Which means that loneliness was a problem before sin was a problem. Because <laughs> loneliness happens in Genesis 2, sin happens in, in Genesis 3. <laughs> so being lonely was one of the first problems. <laughs> was the first problem that man, man had. But, but God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make for him a helper. Now that word helper may be just about the greatest downfall of, ever, of, of all of mankind. Because helper sounds like apprentice, lackey, servant, slave. Like it, it has this connotation that just sounds like, well, yeah, you could do some of the stuff that, I'm, that I don't want to do. Like, uh, yeah, I'm hiring you so that you could do this. Um, the Hebrew word for helper is azer, and it's only it only addresses two specific people ever. Um, it's used 21 times in the Bible. Um, two of them refer to Eve, and the other and 15 of them refer to Yahweh. And there are four other ones that are kind of like to no one in particular, like oh, don't you wish you had someone to help you, or oh, God is going to send you someone to be an azer, to be a help to you. Um, but so if, if the only time that this, that this word helper is used is for Eve and then God himself, then we can't just lump it into this word that means servant or apprentice or little helper person. No, no, no. Help means something so much larger than that, so much heavier than that. This idea of, of being a helper means that there was something that was impossible for me to do on my own. But with your help, now it is possible. Now it is possible. Alone, impossible. With you, now it's possible. So in, in all of the instances when it's used for God, it says, man, we were lost. We were in Egypt, but God was our help. But God freed us. It was impossible for us to be freed from Egypt, but somehow God made it possible. He was our help. Or in the Psalms, it says, man, I was downhearted, I was crushed, I was destroyed, and God was my help, and he lifted my head. And then for Eve, 
for Eve. Think about that as a helper. Man, there was something that was impossible for Adam. It was impossible for Adam to be in community. Absolutely impossible. The community that he had was between him and God, and then him and animals. But he, he did not have someone who was like him to be in community. And God said, that's not good. And what's interesting is that God, he says it's not good, and then what he does is he goes around trying to find a suitable helper for Adam. God brings before every, every animal before Adam, and he recognizes, wow, that's weird. They, they have a partner. They have a partner. I don't have a partner. God, God, rec- God makes Adam recognize the fact that, that, that he is alone. And then he provides for him in the area of, of this impossibility. God, rec- God helps him to see the problem and then gives him a solution to the problem. That's what it means to be an azer, to be a help. And that's part of what this sanctification is, is to be a helper, to help you see something that you cannot see so that you might be able to grow and to change and to become more holy, to become more sacred, to be more like that person that I was intended to be, which is someone who glorifies God, who is satisfied in him and who glorifies him. That's what a helper does. they, They take you from this area of impossibility to possibility. But this help is all about becoming more fully human. And if you want to know how to be more fully human, you should listen to the only one who has ever done it right. Because I'll tell you right now, no one of us humans in this room has ever been perfect. It has ever been a flawless human being from beginning to end. None of us. And even if you're like, well, what about... No, I, I can say that confidently because you're all here alive. So you haven't, you haven't finished yet. <laughs> um, but Jesus is the one who knows what it means to be fully human. Because he was the one, he is God himself who made humanity. So the designer, he knows the intentions. He knows what it means to be, uh, to be close to the purpose, to be fulfilling the purpose. He's the one who knows. And then he came into the world as a human to experience it and to show us to, to live it out, to, to show us what it looks to have unhindered connection to the Father, to have unhindered connection to God. He did it right. And he's got some things to say about how to do it right, so we should probably listen to him. <laughs> we should probably listen to him. But I got a, I got a video that I want to uh, show you that is simply an illustration for, for this point. It is uh, about uh, two years ago, a group, I believe their name is Enchroma, they made a specific pair of sunglasses that allow people who have colorblindness to be able to see colors correctly. And colorblindness isn't just, you know, like, oh, you see in black and white. It's like, I get my reds and my greens fuddled up. Like, they kind of blur together. Or the pinks and the, and the blues, they, they kind of look the same, and I can't quite tell which one's which. Um, but so they made these corrective glasses, and they were huge, and, and it became this popular trend um, to, to buy these glasses for someone who was colorblind, and then to 
show a video or to videotape them as they see colors correctly for the first time. So we're, we're going to watch a video of a 66-year-old bodybuilder who, for his entire 66 years, has never seen color cor colors correctly, and he's about to see them right for the first time. How does it look? Oh, that's weird. Look at the balloons. <laughs> Can you see with our eyes now, baby? Can you, what colors you see? Those. You see colors now? Oh, the trees are neat. <laughs> <laughs> Now you have rose-colored glasses, baby. <laughs> now you see with our eyes. Do you like the balloons? What about the flowers in the house? <laughs> All of a sudden things have been made right. All of a sudden he's like, this is what I was in. This is what my eyes were intended to see. Whoa. <laughs> And it's like, whoa, yeah, check out the flowers. Look at everything. Oh my gosh, the world is so new. It's so bright. And this is, this is a good example of what it means to be a helper because he was totally unaware of his problem until someone else showed him. Until someone said, wow, look at how, don't you think it looks so great? How the, how the colors of the leaves are turning from green to red? And he says, what do you mean those two colors look the same to me. It, it looks like mud. It made aware of the problem, and then those people say, oh man, well, there's, there's a way for us to change that, to bring it back to your purpose. And they find these glasses, and they buy them for him so that he can try them on and see things correctly. So unaware of the problem, made aware of the problem, made aware of the solution, and invited into that solution. That is like the process of sanctification. That is um, th this process that allows us to get from where we are into a place where we are more sacred, where we are more fulfilling the purpose that God has created us for, to enjoy him, to glorify him. So marriage is a vehicle of sanctification. There are lots of vehicles in the world there's an off-road vehicle. Where does an off-road vehicle take you? Off-road, right? There's like a recreational vehicle. Where does a recreational vehicle take you? <laughs> it takes you recreationing. Um, but marriage is like a sanctification vehicle. It takes you to sanctification. That's where it goes. Now, it is a sanctification vehicle. It is not the sanctification vehicle. There are many. There are, there, there's an unlimited amount of ways that God is going to shape you to become more and more like the person that he's made you to be, intended you to be. But marriage is a darn good one. 
marriage is a, a great way to take you towards this, this holiness, to more fully understand um, how, how God has intended you to be. Marriage is a good one because you have someone with you all the time in every area of life who is fully aware of all of your, flaw, all of your flaws and all of your faults. And um, if they really love you, they're not silent about the faults and the flaws. They point them out to you. And then all of a sudden, you're made aware of your faults, and you have a choice of whether or not you're going to change. Uh, marriage sanctifies us by exposing faults. It's like having a mirror where you can see yourself, you can see all of the problems that you have, and you can also see the potential that you have to be better. And it's an opportunity to look, take an honest look at yourself and to say, yeah, I, I need a change. I need a change. And it's only been a year and four months and some change, and I'm this is my wife, Rachel, and we, you are a tool of sanctification for me. And I hope I am to you, too, but, but, but I, I have been more, made more sacred as a result of the last year and a half, almost, uh, than any other year and a half of my life. Um, because there has been someone there nonstop, a roommate who I am messy, so she teaches me. She points out how I am messy and gives me an opportunity to change that. <laughs> and if I don't change it, then she'll just like, hmm, you know. It's great. <laughs> it's really great. Um, but is, is she's there all the time. She sees me at my best and at my worst. And when I'm at my worst, she makes sure that I, she makes sure that I know that I could have done better. Um, and it's the best because it's not just a demeaning way. If, I, if marriage was only a mirror and I was just looking at myself, I would yell at myself so much. I, I, I get so mad at myself. Um, I was actually struggling with like this dissociation where I would look at myself in the mirror and I would say, Conrad, you're such an idiot. I can't believe that you would do this. And I would actually like make my problems like someone else's. I'd be saying, you are so awful. Did you see how you talk to them? Um, like, if it's just me in a mirror, I'm going to, I'm going to be so upset with myself. I'm going to be so critical. Um, and luckily, marriage is far better than that. Um, it's not only being able to see yourself, it's having someone who sees you as well and actually wants to encourage you along. For, for some of you, you picked up this book, The Meaning of Marriage. Um, Pastor Greg had a bunch of these out on the table in the back um, to buy as we were going through this marriage um, series. And so some of you have been reading this, and I, I hadn't purchased it, I hadn't been reading it, but Pastor Greg was like, hey, chapter four is like exactly what you're talking about. You should check it out. And I was like, okay. So I went and got one, and I haven't read the rest of it yet, but I read chapter four. Um, and there was a couple of, of spots in here that I was just like, man, this is so, so spot on. So it's written by Tim Keller and his wife, Kathy. And he says this, my wife, Kathy, often says that most people, when they're looking for a spouse, are looking for a finished statue when they should be looking for a wonderful block of marble. Not so that you can create the person you want, but rather because you see what kind of person Jesus is making. 
And then a little bit later, it says regarding this this Christian perspective of marriage, this intended design for marriage that God has, in this view of marriage, each person says to the other, I see all your flaws, imperfections, weaknesses, and dependencies. But underneath them all, I see growing the person that God wants you to be. And that is so much of what this sanctification process is. Is that, yeah, you're here. Yeah, it would be great to be here, but you're not there yet. But I see the potential. Yeah, I, I can see all the flaws. Of course, everyone can see those, Conrad. you got tons of problems. But I also see the potential for where you could be. Um, I, I'm a part of a program called Leadership Focus that's a, a Church of God program. Uh, program. It's kind of like an online class that I take, and I get to join video conferences with, um, there, there's five pastors and one coach. So we jump on a video conference all together, and, and most of these guys are from the Midwest. And we had an assignment to call um, someone from a list uh, of, of pastors who are all over the age of 60, who have been in the Church of God their whole lives, and to ask them, what is life like? What is ministry like? And one of the guys who was in this class with me, he called a woman named Ann Smith. And then he came back and he reported on what she said. And I was blessed by it. And so I had a person that, that I called and I talked to them. But I was like, man, I should have called Ann Smith. She's incredible. Um, and so I have a couple of words of wisdom. I've never met her in person. I haven't talked to her. But man, the wisdom she had to share, it, it, it affected me. And she was talking about the church. And she said, should I pursue a problem-free church? Or should I let problems and conflict be an opportunity for growth? And I was thinking on that. And as I was prepping for this message, I was like, man, I'm, I could just sub out spouse for church. Should I pursue a problem-free spouse? Or should I let those problems and those conflicts be an opportunity for growth, a way to learn? I'm not looking for a, a flawless sculpture, but I'm looking for a block where we could begin to sculpt and begin to learn. And another quote she had or that, that, that I took away, she said, you don't have to be sick to get better. And this is an important thing about sanctification is not that somehow you are um, ill because you aren't where you should be yet. So here we are, and here's where we want to be. Just because I'm here doesn't mean that I am somehow um, defective. I am broken, I have flaws, but being here isn't, isn't a bad thing in and of itself. <coughs> Our former senior pastor, Rhodes Pringle, <clears throat> he had a, an analogy he used um, to, to explain perfection. Because Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And he used this analogy as an example. He said, say that you are a dancer, and you are at a rehearsal, you're at a practice. And the choreographer, the dance director, and she's there, and she is, uh, or he, is there, and <laughs> is uh, directing everyone where they should go. And he says, all right, you go there, you go there, and you, you go right here. Perfect. As soon as they reach their spot, as soon as they get ready, perfect. Now, has the person just by standing here accomplished anything? They haven't danced a single step. They haven't practiced even yet. They haven't 
performed in front of hundreds, thousands of people, and yet they're perfect because they're right where they're supposed to be. Right where they're supposed to be. That's the, the product is really important. We want to have an awesome product. We want to live a sacred life. We want to be, we want to fulfill the purpose that God has intended us for. But just because we're not there yet, doesn't mean that we're not right where we're supposed to be. Right where I am right now is on the journey towards sacredness called sanctification. We are in this process, in this journey. And right where I am, it could be absolutely perfect. It's like I have this capacity. I know this much of my flaws, and I have an opportunity to 100% compensate for those flaws and to recognize, oh, wow, I'm really not glorifying God with my finances. I should change that. And now, since I have been made aware of my problems, I, I have been able to meet that, and now I am at 100% of my capacity. But all of a sudden, I'm made aware of more problems that I have, more ways that I'm not glorifying God. And then I have an, I'm no longer at 100%, but I have an opportunity to continue to become 100%. And to be full again, to be complete, to be perfect in the middle of my imperfection, to be perfect right in the middle of my process of, sanctific of sanctification, my process towards holiness. Might not have danced a single step, and yet you're still perfect. And when I'm made aware of more, I have more opportunity to grow. I'll tell you guys, the process of being made holy is difficult. It is hard work. But it's far more enjoyable together. The process of being made holy, holy happens all the time. It happens just with me and God. It happens with close friends. It happens with me and the Word. It happens in a situation like this with a pastor or with a presenter or a speaker. Uh, and it also happens with me and my wife. There are all sorts of times where I am made aware of the fact that, man, I want to glorify God with everything, and there's an area of my life where I'm not. I want to change that. All these, all these methods of sanctification happen in community, not alone. Because if you're really alone, then you think you've got it all together. You think you've got it all figured out. If you had never interacted with another hum human being, then you are the best human being that you know. And you've got it all together. But as soon as you're made aware of all of my insufficiencies, then it's like, wow, I really have room to change. I really have room to grow. And God does this all the time. He points out these areas of my life that I'm just lacking, that I'm just missing out on. And, and he doesn't want me to miss out. And it happens with friends, but it happens a lot with Rachel because she sees it all. She sees all the problems. But here's what it comes down to is that Jesus is our sanctifier. Not only is, our, is he our goal to be able to glorify him, but he is also the one who provides a means for us to be sanctified. He's the only one who's ever lived out this humanity thing right, and he invites us into that. And in fact, when he goes on to the cross, he, although he is sinless, he puts on my sin like it's a coat. And he wears it. Even though he's sinless, he appears like he has sin. He wears a burden of all of the sins of all of humanity 
of the entire world, he wears all of that onto the cross. And when he does that, he exchanges. He says, I'll take your sin, and if you would believe in me, and if you would believe that this death was for you, then I will give you my righteousness for you to put on like it's a coat. Like even though I am full of sin, even though I have been separated from God because of my sin, that it's, it's this, this gap between him and I, I can, before God, in, in, in his eyes, I can, I can appear as though I have the righteousness of Christ. And as I wear that coat, it rubs off on me. It's like, man, I really want to be this. I don't just want to, you know, wear the, the, the appearance of righteousness because of Christ. No, I actually want to be that. I actually want to be like Christ. See, God always, already sees me as forgiven. He already sees me as, as holy and righteous because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. But until we see him face to face and we're made perfect, we're on this journey of becoming more and more like Christ, becoming more and more full in righteousness. He's our sanctifier. Jesus is our sanctifier, and he's going to use many tools and many means to bring us to the fullness of what it means to be human. But we have to trust in him as our sanctifier. We have to lean into him. We have to believe that the ways that he has ordained for us to be sanctified are right for us. And for, mar- and for, ma- for many, that's marriage. And for some, it's not. God has called some people to, to not be married, and that doesn't mean that they don't get sanctified. There's always a process, but the way that he has, has called me to be sanctified, I have to trust that he's got, he's got the right steps. He's got the right, mo- the right um, plan in mind. Another quote from this book, from that same chapter. It says, What then is, is marriage for? It is for helping each other to become our future glory selves. The new creations that God will eventually make us. The common horizon that husband and wife look towards is the throne and the holy, spotless, and blameless nature that we will have together with a common goal to glorify God with our entire lives, holy and blameless and spotless. We move forward together with that goal, and side by side we are able to encourage each other towards righteousness, towards holiness, towards sacredness, to be just like God has intended for us to be. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that... God, that despite all of our flaws, you love us. God, Romans says that while we were yet sinners, while we were still in sin, far away from you, that is when you died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, that we had had nothing of our own that, that we earned, God. We didn't earn your salvation. We didn't earn to be righteous, God, but, but you reached out to us. You made a way for us, God. I pray that you would encourage our hearts to, to, take, to take what you have given us, God, to take hold of it, God, to lead lives that glorify you, God, to have a passion in our hearts, to make you known in our families, in our communities, 
God, I pray that that inside of ARCF, God, you would be sanctifying us. God, you would be making us holy. God, you would be making us more and more human, God. Exactly how you designed us to be, to, to be glorifying you, God. To be living the life that you have for us. God, help us to be those people who are constantly seeking what it is that you have for us, God. And as we are being sanctified, would you use ARCF as a vehicle that other people might be drawn to the sanctifier? God, would you use us so that all of Citrus Heights would, would know you, God, that all of Citrus Heights would be saved because, because of, of what you have done in our lives, Lord? God, it's, it's a bold and maybe a silly prayer, but God, I don't feel like there is, there's enough time to just sit back and wait, but God, I pray that, that members of our community would be saved because of the work that you do in our lives, Lord. God, would you use us to invite people into this family? Would you use us to invite people into the process of sanctification, God? Would they see your beauty? Would they see your love? Would they see your goodness, God? Use us. Help those of us who are married to, to be good sanctification partners who encourage each other um, towards pursuing you, who encourage each other towards holiness, towards sacredness, God. God, would you help us to be a community, a church who, who encourages each other, who loves each other enough to, to encourage each other towards sacredness, God. So Lord, we love you. And we pray all of these things that you would be glorified through us, Lord, and in us, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for having been here today. Enjoy your afternoon. Maybe find a friend to go to lunch with. Have a good Sunday.